Welcome to the Heartbreak Hangover. We are so glad you're here. And yeah, this is our first podcast ever. So a couple of things. One, uh, have some patience with us. The audio of this one, honestly, is not very good. I'm not quite sure what was going on with our microphones, but... Greta sounds like really far away and I sound like I've like swallowed the microphone. So there's, there's really nothing I can do about it now. Um, as far as I can tell. And it was such a good um, conversation that I'm just not willing to scrap it and try again. So bear with us. I promise you that in the future it's going to be better. Um, so in this episode, we are talking about green lights for dating and how to know when you're healed enough and how to know when you need to take a break and that sort of thing. And Greta and I are, um, we are like in this with you. Uh, I have been single for 13 years. Greta was married for 19 years and divorced a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, we know it is, it's rough out there, babes. It is rough. And so we are really committed to, um, sharing our own personal stories and taking what we've learned and making it accessible to you. And we really just want, um, to bring people clarity and cut through the junk. There is some really bad dating advice out there, guys, like real bad. So, um, I promise you there is, um, uh, there is a path forward that will help you to avoid future heartbreak and to enjoy dating and find that person that you're looking for. If, if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for a partner, um, and I want to share that with you. So, uh, listen in, we will, um, continue on. We'll be trying to drop an episode, uh, once a week. So thank you so much for joining us. If you love this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you're looking for or listening to it on. Um, that is what really, um, makes us findable that that is it. In fact, that is it. So please do go and leave us a five-star review. Really appreciate it. Share with your friends and enjoy the show. Well, hello, hello. Hi, Greta. Hi, Erin. How are you this fine day? Lovely, lovely. How are you? I'm good. It's been a, it's been a little bit of a crazy day, um, not having internet and trying to work and shuffling things around, but, um, but overall doing great. And I'm excited to have this conversation with you where we figure out how to know if you're healed enough to date. Yeah. As a person who I probably am within um, a couple of weeks of feeling healed enough to date, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is very pertinent for me as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, we're not talking about like being all perfectly healed and figured out all of your childhood wounds and gone through all of the, you know, EMDR and all all the, all the things in order to be fully healed, um, in order to be ready to date, but, but more like, how do you know if you've taken some time to maybe, you know, identify where, um, you, you want to have some healing before getting into a relationship, how to know if you've gotten there or if you maybe need to take some more time and, um, dating might actually be a hindrance versus helpful. Yeah. And not to, you're right. I love that point because, um, I feel like when I was engaging in sort of, I guess what I would call traumatic dating or Mm. dating for my own trauma. Yeah. It was a very potent learning landscape for me. So it didn't, it wasn't devoid of, of learning. And I felt like every encounter that I had actually did bring me closer to my healing. Mm. They were just, I had to use it in that way of like, I know that, um, I'm not where I want to be in terms of looking for my, my long-term relationship. But I also, I just need to be very clear about that and know yeah. that, uh, with, with myself and with others yeah, and, um, and use it as a place to really, um, to really learn from, right. you know, 
how to be assertive, how to know what I don't want. Um, so many different things. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think that when we're, when we're dating and we are feeling um, upset or confused or triggered or disappointed a lot that, that those are good um, indicators that, um, you know, they kind of can tell us what areas we need, need attention. And, um, and then we can ask the question, like, why am I responding this way? Or why am I choosing people who are bringing this out in me? And, um, and that's good. And then I think it's really, you don't want to stay in that place because I think it's really hard to continue dating when you're in a place that you're, where you're feeling triggered a lot, um, or you're maybe have showing up, there's a pattern showing up in the people that you're choosing. Um, it's really hard to change that while you continue to date. Yes. It's kind of like, you can be like a little turtle, you know, and like stick your head up out of the water for a minute and, and see what the dating pool is like, see how you're going to respond. And then you can kind of emerge back into your shell. Right. <laughs> and you're like, okay, what was that like? Let's bring it in. Let's reflect. And <laughs> we can maybe come back out. Yeah. You know? But otherwise um, you can get into, I feel like I personally got into this, just like what you were saying, dating the same guy over and over again. And I couldn't actually come to the place I think I am at now of being more healed without uh, a big introspective well, it wasn't a big break. It was maybe not as long as it should have been, but a very introspective time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so I think we'll, we'll get into that on, you know, taking a break and what, what your, what a break looks like. And, but I thought that first we could talk about, um, you know, what are some signs that we've noticed, uh, that, uh, you have some unreal, unhealed wounds or trauma, um, that's come up during dating. And um, I'm happy to start because I like <laughs> made a list. Uh, and this the, my list started um, last year or earlier this year, I guess. I've lost track of time. But earlier this year um, with my therapist, actually, we kind of talked about like, what are some of my own red flags, like not trying to identify red flags in the, the other person, but what are some red flags that I can see in my own behavior that, you know, are contributing to, to, um, getting into kind of, you know, relationships that have a toxic dynamic. And uh, the biggest one that we identified was dismissing red flags. So dismissing, um, dismissing things that made me feel bad or things that seemed like, um, that might not be a good sign because prior to that, I'd had such a euphoric feeling of wonderfulness and connection and falling in love and being treated so well. And so when the red flag came up, um, or the concern came up, I very quickly would dismiss it because I didn't want to have to, I, I didn't want to have to address it and, and potentially lose the euphoric feeling that I'd been having. Yeah. It's, um, prior, another way of, of prioritizing the togetherness over our relationship with ourselves. So prioritizing the relationship with the person over a secure yeah. relationship with ourselves. Yeah. Really great sign of that saying like, oh, what you have to think and say self is not as important as just maintaining this, this connection, which I need so badly. Yeah. Yeah. Like when that connection feels better than your own sense of security and safety, um, that's a problem. That's a red flag. <laughs> that's a real red flag. Um, I experienced that in a relationship that I was in last year and this person, uh, well, I had just, the, my, my previous relationship to that had been uh, with somebody 
was with somebody who um, was very resistant to vulnerability. And like, it was like, we would connect and we would have a vulnerable um, evening or conversation or whatever. And then he would pull away. And so I was doing this push pull thing with him for about six months. And, um, and finally it just came to an end. And so it took some time, not, not very long, like three weeks of no dating and tending to my heart and feeling sad and wondering what the hell, how is this continuing to happen? And then I met a man, um, on Bumble and we connected really easily. He was the total opposite. He was really fun. He wanted a lot of connection. He was, he seemed to be easily vulnerable. He was very affirming. We spent a ton of time together. It was fantastic. We were, we became exclusive very quickly. He was all in. I was just on, on top of the moon and then little, little red flags that are coming up little, like just um, things that might seem, you know, just like you might not have even noticed them if you weren't in a close relationship with him, but just like um, finding out that he finished his last two hours of work with a bourbon. And it just sort of was like, hmm. oh, you're so stressed that you're drinking. And then, you know, or saying that he was going to start, um, you know, getting in some exercise every day because he was working so much and was so stressed. And then he just, he never did it. And it felt kind of like, oh, why is that bothering me? It's just a, it's just the sign of saying you're going to do something and not doing it or finding an unhealthy coping a way to cope with your stress in the drinking. Um, and then, um, but I felt very unsure. And that's what I think I began to also realize was that I, um, I didn't really trust myself. I didn't really, these flag, these feelings would come up of like, I, this doesn't feel good to me, but then I thought, well, I don't know. I don't know. Who am I to say? What if I bring this up and it causes conflict? And I just was so afraid to go there that I didn't bring anything up. And it, it got so bad. It got to the point where, um, I mean, it, it really wasn't like a gradual um, decline. It was more like an explosion. We went on a trip together and um, that's where I saw, you know, his full true colors and he lost his temper with me and he yelled and, um, blamed me for tons of things that, I mean, it, it was so bizarre. It was, it was, it was awful. It was an awful experience. And, you know, then when I like recounted it all with my friends and my therapist, they, it was like, oh yeah, if I paid attention to the little things, um, I probably could have clued in that something like this was bound to happen. Wow. So why, I think like, as you know, why do we do that? Because I, I've, I've had that exact same experience, <laughs> not exact, but <laughs> very, very similar experience. I actually feel like my entire marriage wow. was a collection of like these experiences that I just, I just had to numb out to eventually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would do, I would go to, instead of going to friends outside of the relationship, I would go to my partner and say, I'm seeing this, this, and this. And I would actually like collect a list (laughs) and be like, I'm noticing the following five things over time that to me spell a lot of disengagement and a lot of unhappiness on your part. What do you think? You know, and it was, and it was like, it was never affirmed back to me what I had seen. Was it so, like where excuses made or it was explained away or, or was it just um, dismissed? It was like, can it was, he would shut down when I would bring it to him. He wouldn't even be able to respond to me. Oh. And it would be these really long conversations of like, 
it was strange. It would be these really long conversations of him just being really silent and like trying to see what I was saying, but never really being able to. And um, literally like I would say something and then like 10 minutes of silence of him trying to think through it. Do you think he was flooded? Or was it flooded? You know how like sometimes you'll, you'll have a, something will happen and you have a feeling and you're washed with like heat and just a, like blurred. Like you can't, you can't get a real, a, a full sentence, much less a, a, a word together to say. Possibly. I, I ne- he never, we never got to a point where he could tell me what was going on. Oh dear. So I, I felt I, I ended up internalizing that and feeling as though my wants and needs were just so overwhelming to him and trying to just tone myself down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like, <clears throat> but um, there were so, when I look back now on that relationship, it was again, you know, like all these little clues that, and then eventually he just he just couldn't he disengaged completely and um and it was finally became extremely obvious and I actually finally started consulting others um and asking others for for help and advice and they were like yeah this is not okay yeah <laughs> but I I just I wonder you know what it why why we why we begin to do those things when we become disconnected from ourselves but I definitely agree it is a sign of, of not being ready when we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, I understand why a little bit, and I think it's that because we have did not develop a secure attachment system. So we, we don't really, you know, internally we feel, um, a little unstable when it comes to attachment. And we're looking, we were kind of like always, especially as, you know, anxious attachers, we're always kind of scanning for the person that we can attach to and then feel calm and feel safe. And so, you know, when we do form an attachment, if our biology, you know, is just like, it's, you'll, you'll, you will die if this person detaches from you, like, of course, we're not thinking that, but our subconscious is is telling us that, is trying to protect us by keeping us attached when really that's not what we actually want. It's not what we need, but that's what our survival, you know, mechanism is. And so um, we have to like literally it it is so strong that that's what we do. We stay in and we become you know, we do have a level of codependency then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That level of ignoring our own feelings, uh, ignoring our own bodies. Um, yes. Is, is, is the sign of, of being in our, still in our trauma. Yeah. In, in the lizard brain. Right. Um, when we're, when we're with somebody else and you're right, it is the lizard th- that, that feeling of death if we if if we lose that attachment is so real it really feels like that and then when it happens you actually do feel like you're dying yeah yeah it's terrible and (laughs) it's terrible yes and like the only way sometimes to get through it is to actually have this experience and not die right exactly it's like to um Something I learned when I was reading about Enneagram type sevens. Oh, I think I, I think I sent this to you. It's just like the fear of the, the bad feeling is like worse than the actual feeling itself. And so we fear it and we like try to shield ourselves from it. We do everything we can to not actually have to go through the pain and we make ourselves more miserable then if we just accepted it and, and, and believed and remembered this won't last forever, like pain is part of being human. 
it's like, you know, but also you can make decisions so that you have less pain in the future. <laughs> you know, True. that is possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that's a great example. This morning I was driving to work and I had this little thing come up about my ex-boyfriend and I was starting to get, I was like starting to get a little bit like uncomfortable and like tearful and like, and I was like what mm-hmm. am I still am I still not over him like what's going on and then I was just like just relax and feel sad mm-hmm. and it literally lasted like 45 seconds yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like, I miss him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was I was just like okay I'm going on with my day yeah but that takes practice and, and yeah. some amount of bravery. And we can do that on a very small level and we can do it on very, uh, very large levels. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say that, you know, something that, um, this, this guy I follow called what's his name? His, the, his account is called the love drive. Oh, it's Sean Gallegos. And he said, he posted about how the, the pain after a breakup of a relationship that was a toxic relationship is way worse and lasts longer than the pain or sadness after a relationship that was healthy where the people talked about it, they talked through it and they made a decision like this isn't working for us. And, or one, or one person said, this just isn't working for me anymore, but they gave a lot of space to the other person to have their feelings and ask questions. And they didn't just block them and run away. They like, uh, they allowed the, that person to come back and ask a question or say like, I really miss you and, and reciprocate and say, I miss you too. And I'm, you know, and I hate this, but, and that, that the, you know, prior example, is much, much worse when you go through a relationship, especially, or a breakup with someone who, um, say, you know, puts all the blame on you or takes no responsibility, um, for the, the hurt in the relationship or stonewalls you and doesn't answer any of your questions or just, you know, whatever, just like disappears into thin air and they're not available anymore. You're left with all these questions and you probably were, um, you know, not really treated as valuable in the relationship. And there, and then you're left questioning your value afterward. And that's what hurts really, really bad. Yeah. Because the relationship ate away at your own self-esteem, self-confidence. Yeah sense of self. Yeah. It was a toxic one. Um, and you, you get into this pattern of using that, using the love and using the relationship to fill you back up while it's also taking from you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if that gets cut off, you've you're like, the pattern is completely stopped and you're just left with this broken sense of self Yeah, and then nothing to fill you back up because you've stopped being able to do it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well said. Yeah. I, I just know that from experience. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me too. So um, another side to this too, uh, we're, we're kind of talking it from, about this from the anxious perspective, but also yeah. I think some people, the, the other side of that, of, of when you're kind of dating from your own trauma and not yeah. being ready to date is being overwhelmed by closeness. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I personally have never felt. I was like, what's that? <laughs> Actually, I, I will, you know what? I can speak pretty honestly. <laughs> like, hmm, what's it like? <laughs> but, but I can actually identify with that a little bit because, I, and this is the, this is what they tell you happens. And it did happen to me that when, you know, you're, when you're anxious and then you um, get into a relationship with someone who is secure or maybe is also anxious, you will switch to avoidant and have some avoidant tendencies. And, um, and that happened a little bit with me or to me when I started dating Andrew. And I, I would say 
that I think probably the first three to four months that was going on for me. And it wasn't that I never felt like I didn't want to be around him, but I felt myself uh, like my skin was like crawling from being with someone who was so present and available and paying attention to me. (laughs) I was just like, oh my God, you're going to see all of my flaws. Are, is this person going to still want to be with me? And, and I'm guessing that ha- that happens a lot with people who are avoidant because they're also insecure and they just hide it better <laughs> as anxious types. Yeah. Did you feel some sense of compassion for the avoidant people you've dated when you kind of went, went through that with Andrew? No. <laughs> I, I honestly I didn't I think uh, I was so wrapped up in in my own like holy shit like what am I doing this is so different for me I don't want to screw this up what what's the next right thing for me to do I have got to chill the fuck out I really need to show up here and be open and authentic to this because I think this is what I've been waiting for and hoping for so now I didn't actually get those guys any thoughts well, yeah <laughs> well I mean and I'll honestly, like what you just said, how good that you, you've had training, um, and you've trained and yeah. so much in, in attachment theory that you knew yeah. you feeling and you could recognize it and go, Oh yeah. My feeling of claustrophobia or however you want to characterize uh-huh. it is a part of being with a, in a secure, mm-hmm. a secure attached relationship mm-hmm. or a person because anxious people are ambivalent. We go back and yeah. forth, you know? Right. So, um, <laughs> right. It can be avoidant and anxious, but we're, I think for me, I'm so used to the chase and I've never, I've never been chased. Um, so, Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, just not in any kind of long-term way. It's like the, I'll be chased until I turn and turn towards them. And then they're like, so (laughs) right. Or chased by anybody that you want to actually chase you. I bet you have been chased and you were like, ew, you're not cute. (laughs) I only say that from my own experience. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so what do you do? Like when you realize and you're like, oh, I'm either I'm, I'm, I'm feeling anxious. I'm, or I'm feeling overwhelmed. Um, yeah. Or you're just choosing person after or you're, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think sometimes it's really hard to know if you're choosing badly, but if you're having poor outcomes, <laughs> over and over and over again, it's, it's time to take a break. That's what I really, I really do think that it is like pressing the flipping reset button. And because what, like what you kind of alluded to before is that when you are doing this, um, over and over again, and perhaps I think it's super common for, uh, you know, very self-aware women growth-minded women to end up with um, uh, men who have some narcissistic, you know, tendencies, I'm not going to call them narcissists, but, you know, just who's, who are more takers than givers and perhaps not as available as, um, you know, we women would like for them to be. And we, we find ourselves very frustrated or we find somebody great and we're not attracted to them. And then that feels like a big blow. Um, I, I think that it is time to set up or press the reset button because I think we've, we likely have gotten, um, really good at looking for certain qualities in the men that we are meeting. And we have just lost um, track of what is most important to us and also our feelings of like love and compassion toward ourselves. Yeah. And And there's a basis of when you, when you have developed a, a peaceful relationship and a secure relationship yeah. within yourself, you could like, and you are a person who 
maybe can um, lose touch with that when yeah. you when you are with people who are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to use that as your home base, coming back to that, feeling that it's going to make you able to recognize when you're pulled away from that yeah. so much more clearly than you would otherwise. Yeah. Mark Rose talked about that. Yeah, about exactly. Yeah. Having that sort of foundation of, of your relationship to yourself. Well, so well established that you, you'll be able to recognize when it's not. Yes. If, if you're perpetually dating out of your trauma, there's not going to be a home base. No, there won't be a home base. But it's so true because you're really as hard as it is to see this when you're in it or even to admit that this might be going on. Um, when that's going on, you really, you really do not have an, an inner place of security. It's all insecurity. And that doesn't mean you're not confident or that you don't know your value. It just means that your system is out of whack. It just means that it has not had time to settle in and get really clear on your relationship to self. And, um, so I'll just use myself as an example. When, after that happened, when I went on that trip with the guy last year, um, it was shocking. It was devastating. Um, and I mean, to be terribly honest, I, um, was so appalled and so, uh, like dumbfounded that I was like numb for 24 hours. And then, uh, we were separate for a couple of days and I started missing him and I created so many reasons of why I should give him another chance in my own brain, even though I told people what had happened and they were like, run away, run away. That is not normal. That is like something is wrong. (laughs) And he came back to me and apologized profusely, took all of the responsibility and told me how wonderful I am and and then and cried and gave me the reasons of what had gone on and behind the scenes and apologized and apologized and apologized. And I took him back. We were together for maybe just under one more month and things had changed. Things did not go back to the way that they were. I became anxious. He became avoidant. Um, And I tried to bring up things with him to talk about. And and he always blame shifted, but I, and I was just in this place of like, shit, I don't think this is what I want, but I could not trust myself enough to say, you know what? I'm going to walk away from this. I had so much fear that if I walked away, I would never find anyone again. It's like this little voice. It's like, this is it. This is your last chance. You got to make it work. And, and I, and I was so afraid that if I walked away, I would question my decision and I would be in heaps of pain. And so I stayed and he ended up breaking up with me. He told me actually the, the night after Um, election last year that he didn't want to do this anymore. This was after like giving me the silent treatment and stomping around his house. And then he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, you don't want to date anymore. And he was like, no. And I was like, cue my exit. And so I gathered up all my stuff. I walked out of his house and I said to him, you know, and he was following me around and telling me how terrible I was. And I was like, you know what? I'm leaving. I don't want to see you anymore, but like, I'm just going to, I'm not taking all of this with me. Like you, you need to take responsibility for your part. And, um, it didn't go well. So anyway, after that, I was, uh, really devastated. I was super sad. I was very devastated. I just had that, like, Ooh, I don't know what the hell is wrong with me feeling going on. And, um, my therapist was very much like, I am concerned. I am concerned that you ignored all of these red flags. And, and I was like, you know what? I can't keep doing this. 
I'm the common denominator here. I'm a, a pretty freaking healthy person. I know a lot about the attachment and relationships and communication. And I'm trying to bring my A game here, but I'm finding myself in in toxic relationships over and over again. And so some something is going on. Like I can't trust myself to keep doing this. And I, I, I'm ready for a break. And I just felt like I can't, I cannot continue on. I need something that's going to help me. And I learned about, um, the no man diet from, I think her name is Kendra, um, Kunov, who, um, Mark Grove's partner, Kylie had done the no man diet, um, after she and Mark broke up. And, um, so that's how I heard about it. And I read about it and I was like, I'm doing this. I, I just knew that I needed something new and different and that I needed to get back in touch with myself, even though I didn't really know I was out of touch with myself. I I didn't know that until I went through it. And then I went on, um, I went on about a five month man past. That's amazing. I loved it. At the end, I wasn't sure I wanted to stop. Yeah, that's, I mean, that truly shows how much you needed it. Um, Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, you know, you may have not stopped. And that would have been okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I would, let me tell you, I would, I would be fine. But, but it was really good for me because it wasn't just about not dating. And that's important to take the dating break. But it was also about what I did was about stopping, like putting a pause on male influence in my life mm-hmm. and yeah. really allowing my own wisdom to come up and listen to that. And um, to just be more influenced by the feminine. And that became your home base that you can come back to. Mm-hmm. And when you did, you know, start dating again, you could feel when you were being pulled away. And when I met you and dating in our group that we were in, mm-hmm. um, that's what I really felt is that you had this really strong sense of, mm. um, of the feminine. Yeah that was lacking from the dating group yeah. that we were in. Yeah. Um, and it was like, Ooh, I got, I'm, I'm listen to this. this <laughs> <laughs> Just such a strong sense. You had such a strong sense of that within yourself that you could point it out to others and go. Wait. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. As soon as it was revealed to me, which didn't take very long. I actually, I read, um, I read entitled by Kate Mann. That was the first book I started reading on my fast and I couldn't even get through it all. Cause it was just, it, it just, uh, it, it explained so much of the dynamic that I was experiencing in dating. Um, and, and part of the reason why I wasn't giving more weight and attention to my own feelings and desires and values and opinions was because the world doesn't do that. And that is the, you know, kind of society that I've grown up in. I didn't realize it. It's so, it's so covert, but, um, you know, anyway, I just needed to learn that, um, I got angry, you know, I basically, I got angry after learning about how, um, everything is geared toward prioritizing men's feelings and experience. And we're changing it. It's changing, but that's how men have been raised that they're, that they're the priority, whether they realize it or not, that's just, that's just the conditioning. And, um, yeah. And then I read, uh, patriarchy, stress disorder, um, And that just, I mean, I was just, I was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, (laughs) I, this is all making so much sense to me, which she talks about that being, being considered worth less. Yeah. Worth. Whenever I see something or hear something lately, if, you know, I'm not through the book yet, but you know, even as a teacher and a feminine 
teaching is traditionally a feminine position. Uh-huh. There's things happening at school with male students. And um, uh, it's like, I just have, I just, that, that will come up to me worth less, you know, when I, when I see a, you know, a male student, uh, like a, a putting up with a male student being disrespectful to me or something like that. And I'll, I, I had that happen. And I was like, had that, that word come up in my brain. And I very, you know, strongly said, I'm not going to be treated this way. Yeah. Um, whereas it, but it's, it, it, it's coming up in, in, in every aspect. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yep. And we really are like, when this shift starts to happen, it, you, you're, we're moving into what I, I, I call like micro feminism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like when so. we began to, and you can, I, I've seen myself as a feminist my whole life, but I was in these completely unbalanced relationships and I put up with so many things and my, every relationship I've been in the, the male has been the priority. Yeah. And who, and these are men who would also consider themselves to be feminists, <laughs> um, but right. we can't possibly, we can't possibly come in and command an egalitarian relationship coming from this no. place of being of our own stress disorder from patriarchy. That's right. Unless we're aware of it. Yeah. Uh, and for me, I just took a very short, it was a month long no man diet um, where I started reading this book and it has been so transformative mm. um, to look at each, each piece of this stuff. And I also got really, really angry. Um, and it was, it was hard. It was again. It was like oh, I don't want to feel these feelings. <laughs> yeah. And it was choosing to go. Okay, you know what? Like, if you don't, if you don't actually allow yourself to feel this, you're gonna, you're gonna get sick. Like, you're, you're, you're gonna store it in your body. Mm. And I had, I would do, um, I would, I had do uh, uh, video journaling on my phone. So I've done it since my first, um, since my first big breakup after my marriage, I got into a relationship that was toxic. And I, yeah. uh, I started, I was felt so bereft and it was the middle of the pandemic and I, I just couldn't see people. So I just started talking mm. to myself on my own. Yeah. And it was actually a form my therapist talked to me about, it's a form of mirroring. If you have, if you have an anxious attachment style, it's likely that you were not mirrored very well. Mm. Um, and so I was like, Oh, I'm going to start mirroring myself. But what I did when it was, when all this anger came up is I got on my video and I just told, <laughs> told the people what they needed to hear. Yeah. Um, and that was extremely therapeutic for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. So like, how did, how did it, you actually feel while you were doing the, um, the video journaling? Like, could you feel the anger on like in your body? And then could you feel like a release? Oh, definitely. And I think that, um, yes, like heat, anger, feeling tightness in my throat, my chest, my whole body, and then just really letting it out. And then just, again, the mirroring back of my own face, watching myself and, and being okay. Yeah. Just reflecting back, like that I could see myself and I was hanging out with myself in my own anger. I didn't, I didn't turn off the camera. I didn't walk away. I didn't say, what are you doing? What are you even thinking? There was, it was just being my own witness. Yeah. To my own anger. And right. Not scaring myself away. And I, yeah, that, that was my way of being, creating the secure attachment to yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what secure people do. They are they can withstand yeah. strong emotion. Right. Right. Which is so, I mean, who knew? Like I just had never experienced that before where you could like, you know, get big and have these big feelings and like so, somebody's there with you and is like okay with it. So so like I feel like that's so important going into a new relationship or, you know, just going into dating again is this um, like acknowledgement that all of your feelings are acceptable and they're not dangerous 
you know, like feelings are just feelings. It's how we, you know, it's how we express them that can be, you know, good or bad. And, um, and that feeling of, I like just, it's so hard to explain what it feels like to come into a secure attachment with yourself. Um, but I think like the biggest difference for me is that I feel protective of my sense of well-being and peace. What a prize. Yeah, I yeah. do too. Yeah. And it's so strange because you have to have a different view of what love is supposed to feel like because we get tricked into thinking that anxiety is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so when we go, oh, wait a second, love doesn't have to feel like my heart is popping out of my chest and my stomach aches. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Which is how I mean, literally. I know. I know. Love, I'm sick. No, wait, wait, what? But that's so true. That's our body's wisdom of of saying, and our body knows. Our body knows. Yeah. My body knew through both, through both, I guess, my two main relationships that I've had. I I was, my body was giving me signals all the time. Really? Like what were, what kind of signals? Um, just constricted, like a constricted chest, Mm. Mm -hmm. holding my breath. And, uh, the last relationship that I was in, I, uh, it it was very, um, alcohol. We, we, I'm not, um, I don't have a dependency on alcohol. Um, but I felt like I needed to drink more when I was really Mm. in order to do can, and that's, I think, in order for him to connect to me, that was there as well. And that was a huge red flag for me, yeah. huge red flag for me that I completely ignored. Yeah. Just was like, of course, like if you guys, if you are always, if you're very rarely not drinking together, first of all, you can't sustain that healthfully. But second of all, what is that saying about how you feel sober yeah. together? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I needed to, I needed to drink and I actually, I feel really guilty about this, but I actually, I, I think he had more of an, he definitely had more of a dependency on alcohol than I did. And I actually wanted him to drink sometimes just so that he would be close to me, oh. which felt so, I feel very, very selfish about that. You know, wanting someone to, to engage in their own dependency that's, that's again, that's that sign we were talking about before of wanting the connection over yeah. all other logical things. Right. Right. Yep. Dating from trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I can relate to that. Um, okay. So let's move on to, we've, we've talked a little bit about the green light for being ready today. And I'll just summarize by saying that, you know, there's lots of different um, there's lots of different signs that you, you know, have unhealed wounds and trauma, but, but I think, you know, the two big ones are, um, being in relationships that are, um, confusing and, um, one-sided and maybe with a lot of tension or that start out really hot and heavy. And then they fizzle out really quickly. Those are signs that you're choosing from your trauma and an unhealed wound. And then are, you know, taking a break is the uh, (laughs) suggestion. And, um, you know, so Greta just took a one month break. I took a five month break. I mean, people do all sorts of different, you know, amounts of amounts of time. And, um, but a break is good and it needs to be an intentional break. needs to be very, um, intentional with, um, books, a program. I highly recommend Kylie Macbeth's um, program called Anchored. It's, I think people are on a wait list now, but if you can, or, or even just get into, um, follow Kylie on, um, 
Instagram and then also find her in the mind app. It's M I N E apostrophe D you can um, get some free learnings from her um, and the books that we both recommend. Well, I, we both recommend patriarchy stress disorder. And then we, I also recommend the book called um, entitled it is going to be a hard read, but it's important. Um, and then we want to talk about the green light for being ready to date, which we have um, touched on a little bit. The first first sign being that we trust ourselves. And um, how would you describe trusting yourself? I mean, <clears throat> I think it is, you know, kind of when you described, I guess it's the opposite of when you were talking about um, having these little things come up mm -hmm. and going, um, I'm not going to do anything about that, but actually having these little things come up and actually think about them and allow yourself to go, that doesn't feel right. Why doesn't that feel right? Journal about it, talk to friends, um, and, and let it, let, let those red flags be the beginning of something. It's the beginning of a conversation. Yeah. It may turn out to be, to be nothing, but yeah. don't let it just be like, Right. Oh, boom, no. Um, so I think trusting yourself is allowing that time to think that curiosity, um, not shutting yourself down, um, allowing yourself to go there. Yeah. You have the bags come up like I would have done with, you know, with my own ex husband of like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Is it right. I'm going to think and talk about this and wonder about this and allow my mind to go there. Um, and being okay too with um, not having to fold. Well, actually, I wonder what you think about this, but like mm -hmm. you don't really have to fully understand it mentally all the time. What, what, to understand have, what? Yeah, understand like if something doesn't feel right with it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you are able to rationalize it, but your body is fully telling you, like, yeah, oh, trusting yourself would be listening to the body and going, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm going to just listen to this and think, listen to my body. And I'm going, I don't have to understand it. I yeah, really totally. hundred percent. It's, it's trusting that, um, your body is going to give you, um, those indicators that you need for decision-making and, um, and sometimes it, it knows things that our brain doesn't know. Yeah. And Dr. Ryan, who wrote the patriarchy stress disorder talks about how, um, I loved this. She said that the, um, the subconscious is the body. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was revolutionary. It was like, Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So when we're connected, right. when we're connected to our bodies, we're connected to our subconscious and all of the wisdom that's there. Yeah. Yeah. I've had forgotten about that. Yeah. That, and that's so, that's so, um, empowering because, you know, all you like our task then is to get connected to our bodies. And, you know, that can look like, I mean, for me, it's really just, I think about, I let my brain kind of sink into my body and I just become really in touch with how certain things are feeling. You know, my legs, my belly, my arms, how, what am I feeling? What's going on down in here? And um, yoga is a great way to get connected to your body. Meditation, mm -hmm. any kind of embodied practice, dance. Yeah, dance is really great for yeah. sure. Even going in for a massage and just following, instead of like staying up in your head, following the moose, the masseuse's um, hands. Mm. Um. Yeah, which is similar, which is kind of the second thing I had jotted down with feeling connected to our bodies versus up in our heads with just think of just think that the staying up in our heads is the trap of the patriarchy because the so much of our wisdom, our our feminine wisdom is in our body. And so if you know the powers that be can keep us up in our heads, we'll be less powerful. So if you want to be more powerful, get into your body. Get out of your head. Get into your body. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. 
dog just pulled all the cords. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's all right. I, uh, well, I was also going to say, um, for me, a big one is really in, instead of, so I, I think that, um, I was really, I was kind of raised to be, um, a perfectionist in some ways. And, and not that I try to do everything perfectly, but that I think I should be perfect and that I'm more lovable when I am perfect. And, um, so a big, a a big component of my man fast was embracing all the mistakes that I've made and just having compassion for myself. It was rarely done from malicious intent. Um, it was almost always accidental and ignorance and just in trying so hard, but not doing it well. And just having compassion for myself and just understanding like this, this is how it's going to be. I'm not going to show up to a relationship with a man knowing the best way to interact with him and what, what his wounds are and how to best respond to him or what he, what he wants or needs. Like, there's just no way I I can only be in charge of knowing that about myself and then doing my best and, and really acknowledging it when I've hurt someone or when I responded out of anger or bad, you know, badly or whatever. Um, and just accepting that about myself makes me feel much more willing to be fully seen in a relationship. I love that. Like you said at the beginning where you said, um, there have been times that, um, you felt afraid of closeness because he's going to see all of me. Yeah. But if we have confidence in our own and that all people are imperfect, we have confidence in that. Then of course they can see, (laughs) they can see the real me. You don't have to be afraid of closeness if you're able to not be perfect. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 And so it was, you know, starting that secure attachment within ourselves, you know, it's part of that is, um, you know, responding with compassion to our imperfections. And then that's what we should expect in a relationship. We should be, we should expect to be responded to with compassion. And when we can do that for ourselves, we're, we'll, we'll recognize when somebody's not doing that for us or, and we'll recognize when somebody is. Wow. I look forward to that. Yeah. It's quite nice. I will put in a big a plug for Andrew. He responds very graciously to my imperfections. He's very understanding. Yeah. But yeah. It's, yeah. It's wonderful. Yes, it really is. It's very wonderful. Um, and then this one we kind of we talked about this a little bit already too, feeling protective of our hearts and our lives, our inner peace. I think that's a really good sign when you are thinking, when you go out and dating and you're like, um, Aaron or Greta is top priority here. Like we're not, we are not going to be putting our peace at risk tonight. Yeah, that's huge. And Aaron, so Aaron is like my, my dating coach, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Happily. You, told me, you told me to do that the other day. I forget what the exact mm-hmm. context was. It was so, it was so, I was just like, oh, but, but, oh yeah. You, I was going out with a man who was very, extremely attractive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in his pictures on his, yeah. Uh, and, and she was, um, she helped me uh, prioritize myself within that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when you're with him, she said, when you're out with him tonight, I want you to do one thing and I want you to think about if he is prioritizing you. And I was like, well, what does that even feel like? <laughs> yeah. How do I know? Yeah. How do I know? How do I know what that feels like? And it is, you know, paying attention to it. it I need to know more about what that feels like for me. Period. Obviously, if I don't know what it looks like, yeah, I need to know what that feels like more. So maybe that'll be my next, you know, part of growth of is really learning what that feels like for myself, prioritizing. Me. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's just going to be, I think it's just a, 
um, my, my suggestion would be just doing always doing a check-in, like, just like, you know, do I feel valued right now? Am I, do I feel, is there something I'm wanting to say, but I'm not saying it because I'm worried about causing friction, you know, just always be checking in <laughs> ABCI. <laughs> yeah. Always be checking in with those questions and always check in with your body, How yeah. are you your body. When you're with this person, do you feel safe? Do you feel, you know, happy? Do you feel heard? Um, and that's a, I think that is a felt sense. It's not just a, it's not just a rational sense. Yeah. It's felt sense in your heart and your belly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, good stuff. Yay. So we'll be, um, looking forward to, um, since you feel that you have some green lights for starting to date again. I have a date tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. And oh, have- yeah, you do. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, this, I feel, I don't know. Do you want me to just say it? Mm-hmm. I've, yeah, so, okay. So after my month of, of not dating, I went out on a date with this this man um, who, and it just didn't, it, it, to me, it didn't feel right. Yeah. Uh, when I left the date, I, I checked in with myself when I got home. And I actually um, got right onto to Hinge, and I was like, "Well, that's showing me quite a bit about that I'm not really, you know, feeling very into this. If I'm just sort of checking my Hinge when I get home, you know." Um, so that one didn't. I I sent a very, you know, an ending text of like, "Hey, it just doesn't seem like there's a deeper connection that I want to pursue here that either one of us want to pursue." Um, and then I made a connection with somebody who um, I feel is uh, showing a lot of great signs so far, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we already have a reservation. Um, he's talked about his own growth um, mm-hmm. and has been extremely attentive. And um, I don't know, how else would you describe him so far? Yeah. I mean, I would just, I guess I would say, um, he seems, he does seem, he seems earnest and he seems, um, you know, intentional and I can see like, this is the, what, what we have seen in his text is the, um, the gifts of the anxious attacher. Yeah, he's he's anxious because <laughs> he's thinking of the future. He's making plans. He's probably thinking about what kind of like how the ambiance that he wants to create with you, and he's imagining what you're really like in person and what he, that he wants to go do this with you. And those are the wonderful gifts of being with somebody who leans anxious. <laughs> the fact that he knows that he leans anxious and can speak. Oh yeah. To that. Also that. <laughs> also that is pretty great. You know, too, I was getting really, I, I got this feeling when I, when I started talking to him of like, oh God, everything's going really, really well. <laughs> oh God. You had some and, foreboding joy. Yes. Yes. That. And then I, what I went back to was like, Greta, it is okay if you meet him and all of these green flags and there is a red flag and you are not okay with this, 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 and that. Yeah. And you are going to take care of yourself in that. Mm-hmm. And you're going to take care of him, um, not over yourself, but you will be kind and you will be generous and to both of you and you will be gracious. And it was, a, it was, I had to have a little talk with myself like, oh no, I'm going to get stuck in this relationship because I do the same thing. I do always <laughs> do so that. Great and I have to do it. I have to, I can't like, but I was like, well, what if, you know, what if, what if blah, 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 all the what ifs? Yeah. Like, yeah. If those things come up, it is okay for you to. To say no. Totally. So trust, right. That was a green light for me. That the that that's I guess a sign of as we were asking before, what is a trust? Yeah. That was trust of being like, it's okay to go on a date with somebody who's really, really wonderful and still um be okay with walking away from it. Right. There might be disappointment. There always might be disappointment. Mm-hmm. And you're not gonna fall apart. No. Just might eat some extra chocolate on that day. Yeah, yeah, and feel disappointed. <laughs> welcome to welcome to real life. Welcome to way, really living. People who are listening to us, 
uh, we talked a lot about the Enneagram. So oh yeah, um, just wanted to just plug that knowing your Enneagram type within dating. Um, Aaron and I are both the same type and we are also the same subtype. <laughs> I wonder we found each other. We're looking for our other half. We are sexual sevens. Um, if you don't know what that means, but you want to know what that means, check out the complete Enneagram mm-hmm. by Beatrice Chestnut. Yes, it is an incredible book. Um, and I read um, not only my type, but I read the type of people that I've dated before. Yeah. And it has been so enlightening and so healing. Mm-hmm. And that is when a lot of compassion arises for me too. Yeah. People I've dated and go, oh, you poor thing. <laughs> and I mean, my, me, I'm a, my, my poor me too. Cause we were right. really coming from our, our place. And you can see even where, where, as you know, as a seven, where we, what our particular trauma will look like and how that manifests and as a five, how their particular trauma manifests. Yeah. So it's very, very good. Yeah, it really is. It's really, really good. It's very helpful with becoming more self-aware and then aware of other stuff and just having compassion, increased compassion. is always a good thing. Yes. Always a good thing. Yes. So compassion is key. Thanks everyone again for tuning in. That's a wrap of our first episode. If you would like more information about the, um, resources that we mentioned in this podcast, they will be in the show notes and um, drop us a line on Instagram. If you want to chat with us, we will be doing um, listener Q and A's. So that could be fun. If you have a situation you'd like for us to discuss, we'd love to, um, or just say hello and we'll say hi back. Thanks. Have a great day.